Hey, today is a big day in the life of the church. It's a big day in the life of Christopher Argent and his wife Megan and their family. It's a big day for our church because we are ordaining him to the gospel ministry. Now, he's been in a process uh, for about 60 days now, a process of becoming or going through the process of becoming an elder. Uh, if you remember, there was a time that we came to the congregation and said, hey, if you all know of a reason that Christopher doesn't qualify, you need to talk to him and then talk to us. And None of you did that. There's some other things that we had him do through the process. And then yesterday, he sat with a group of ordained men for about an hour and a half, and we grilled him. And he only got messed up on one question, which was, what are the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant? He didn't get that quite right. Well, we kind of threw that in as a, as a hardball. But anyway, we asked him about his doctrine, his theology. We asked, asked him about his practice of Christianity, his giving, his serving. One of the gentlemen asked the question, which I loved. It was on my list of questions to ask me. He got to it uh, before me. But he said, hey, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? And he said, yesterday at lunch. And I said, what? You've gone 22 hours without sharing your faith already? But that's what he does. He does that on a consistent basis. He's been here in our church for a year and a half or so, now serving the body. And uh, so he's gone through that process, and it all culminates with today. Uh, somebody asked me last week, they said, now, are we going to ordain him in both services? The answer is yes. So he's already been officially ordained in the previous service. We're going to ordain him again uh, today, so he'll be doubly good for one thing. And the second thing is, this is such a big deal in the life of a church uh, that we think everybody needs to participate in it. We don't want to do this on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock and have uh, 30 people from the church be here. Everybody in the church should participate in this because they need to hear what kind of leaders uh, you should, should have, what kind of leaders we should be. And then uh, I'm going to talk to him a little bit at one point in the service. So if I directed him, you guys are just listening in on that conversation. And then I'll direct some specific things to the congregation at the end. But this is just a big deal. And this is only the third time in 13 years that we at Fellowship of Grace have ordained new pastor elders. And so uh, I want to get started with just uh, first talking about uh, what does that mean? How does it look? There are Baptist churches with every single kind of polity, which is the way uh, decisions and leadership go. All kinds of different polity. There's from one dictatorial pastor who kind of tells how things go to, you know, five, it's kind of like the mafia in New York. There's five strong families that dictate the church and the pastor's just a hired hand. And then, and then there's all kinds of things in between. We want you to see that we try our very best around here to follow the scriptural doctrine and theology when it comes to leadership. And so there'll be a lot of verses today, a lot of opportunities to take notes if you want to. But let's get started. First of all, uh, I want you to see that the church has an official office of overseer or elder. Uh, by the way, today I'm going to be using most of these verses from the New American Standard because uh, I think they're a little better in explaining the specific wording uh, that we, we want to understand better than the ESV, which we usually use. So let's look at 1 Timothy 3.1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, now this is uh, one of the two offices of a church. There are deacons and there are pastor elders. Now it doesn't limit a church uh, from having many functional other things. Uh, we have people who greet you when you walk in the door. We have people that work with the children. We have people that help clean around here on the weekends. We have all kinds of functional working positions in the church, but every church should have deacons and elders uh, as ascribed by God's word. This is one of the two that we're going to be talking about today. 
And it says here in this passage that it's a good thing if a man desires this. Now, in reality, it's not just, hey, what do I want to be when I grow up? I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, if anybody chooses uh, a career path of pastor, they're a complete fool. It's not something that you choose. It's not something that you just desire on your own, but it's really something that chooses you. God puts it in the heart of a man uh, to be a pastor, to give his life, to give his life to lead the local church. And that's what Christopher has on his life, a, a calling, a desire to do this, uh, knowing that there's something that God has put in him. But it's a trustworthy thing. It's a noble thing uh, to do that. And so we see here that this position does indeed exist in the New Testament church. But now there's a lot of confusion about this. And here denominations and everything, and that's because the words elder, overseer, or bishop, depending on your translation, shepherd or pastor, uh, again, depending on your translation, and steward, all of these words are used uh, describing this same one office. Now, our church, uh, you all need to understand this. Um, because when people say, well, why is your church elder run? We vote on everything at our church. Or why is your church elder run? We have a, a denominational leader who's above it, who's a bishop, who tells all the churches what to do. Uh, and our church is completely autonomous, which means that nobody outside of this church tells us what to do or, or determines anything that we do. We are self-governing. But it's important to understand uh, that all of these things are really pointing to this one position in the church. I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. It's a little bit, I don't know, seminarian of me, but I think it's important that you kind of understand this so you can answer questions for yourself and for others. There are actually uh, four different terms or words that we've talked about. Uh, the, the term elder or presbyter, uh, that Greek word there is actually a typo. It should be uh, presbuteros, presbyteros. I think I was probably hungry for Mexican food when I typed that out. <laughs> Because that looks like something I'd order from a Mexican restaurant. Uh, but it's actually pres presbuteros, and it means just simply an older man, somebody who is a senior. Now, you don't have to be 100 years old to be a pastor, but the point of the, it is this, is you need to have some ministry experience. You need to have some life experience. Listen, uh, you can read 1,000 books, and wisdom doesn't come to an 18-year-old. doesn't matter how many books you read. Wisdom comes from life experience. And so uh, what God is saying here is, listen, when somebody's going to lead the congregation, the local church, they need to be someone who's got a little bit of experience under their belt. The other term, overseer or bishop, that's episkopos. That means somebody who's a guardian or a superintendent. It's, it's like a, a manager, a supervisor. They bring oversight. They bring leadership uh, to the congregation. They make decisions that uh, uh, direct... Uh, direction and movement and vision of the body. The third one, the shepherd or pastor, that's the Greek word poimen. It's a metaphoric term that means basically somebody who's tending sheep. Now, Jesus talked a lot about uh, the body of Christ being like a, a group of sheep, a herd of sheep. And sometimes uh, being a pastor is like being a shepherd. You're trying to get them all to stay together. You're trying to get the whole congregation to go in one direction. Uh, you're trying to chase after those that are going astray and bring them back. It's a lot like sheep herding and shepherding. And so we see that word as one of the three, uh, four. And then the last one is steward. And that's the Greek word of okonomo, which is a metaphoric term for being a treasurer or trusty, trustworthy. What it what it really means is, uh, specifically, is one who holds the money bag. Now, uh, the pastors around here, we don't hold the money bag 
for a lot of reasons, because first of all, it doesn't say to actually be a steward, but to be like a steward. In other words, uh, uh, you should be able to trust us with the money. You should have pastors whose character you trust enough uh, that if all the offering was put into a sack and uh, one of the pastors carries it out of here uh, on Sunday morning, you go, I trust him. Now, by the way, we don't do that, okay? And if it were left up to me, some of you know my personality, all the money would be in a shoebox with some writing on the side. We wouldn't have any idea what was going on uh, because that's not just, my, just not my thing. And the point is not that we do that because we have all kinds of financial uh, things around here, guards to just make sure that we take really, 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 really good care of God's money because it is his. The point is that you should be able to trust us and our character with the money bag if you had to. So those are the four terms. Let's see how they actually work together and how they point to this single office. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 28, look what it says, and watch for those four words. Watch for any uh, example of those four words and see that they're talking about the same person or persons. But it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called him the elders called to him the elders of the church. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we see in this one passage, the word elder, overseer, and shepherd are all used uh, kind of simultaneously for this one particular office. It's kind of like your job. Uh, you probably have a title. If I said, hey, what, do you, what is your title at work? You'll give me a title. But if I said, well, what are your functions? Probably not very many of you, unless you uh, work on an assembly line where you just do one thing all day long. Most of you have a job that has many functions, Right? Well, being a pastor is kind of the same thing. It's one position, but it has many functions. And so we might serve as an, an, as an elder or an overseer or a shepherd. Look next at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. Look for those same words. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. We see in that passage the words elder, overseer, and steward, all for the same person. Uh, moving on, First Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's what that says. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And so we see in that passage the word elder, overseer, and shepherd. I share all of this with you to help you understand uh, that anytime you talk about, well, does our, does our church have pastors or elders? Yes. Does our church have uh, overseers or does it have shepherds? Yes. Uh, there, right now, uh, three and a half men, I guess I'll count you as a half since we're only through the first service. Uh, <laughs> there, are, there are going to be four men that serve this church as pastor, elder, uh, overseer, shepherd, all of those things. They're all functions 
of this one office. So there's not a, an overseer who somehow ranks above our church and tells, us, tells the pastors or the shepherds what to do from outside our church. It's all within this one position. Uh, now, if you understand that and it kind of clears away so that if you, uh, if you read a verse that says, hey, the elder's this, you know that it's talking about this office. If you have a, read another verse over here that says, hey, the shepherds do this, it's the same office. It's the same group of men. Uh, but let's see what the specific responsibilities of the, elder, of the elders are. We see the first one is ruling, leading, and preaching and teaching. And I've listed them both here together because they're both found in 1 Timothy 5.17. Here's what it says. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, what it's saying here is that the, the pastor elders are to be the leaders of the church, not the dictators. We're not the ones who lord over everybody else, uh, but provide loving leadership. Uh, we shouldn't be walking around and saying, hey, everybody, do what I say because I'm the pastor here, and if you want to stay in this church, you've got to do what the pastor says. By the way, guys, how would that work for you at home? Hey, I'm the man in this house, and if you're going to stay in this house, you're going to do what I... That doesn't work very well. You see, God has taught us and shown us in his word, and we're going to talk about it even later, that the greatest leaders are the greatest servants. The greatest leaders are those who provide loving leadership, both to their families and then as pastors also to the church. But when it says here uh, that if you shepherd the church, if you rule it well, if you lead it well, that you're worthy of double honor. Now, look carefully at the wording. Those who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. It doesn't say to give them double honor. And in fact, if you read this passage in the context, we don't have time today to do it, but this double honor is actually cash money. So what it's really saying is that the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of being paid double, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It doesn't say to pay us double. I'm not asking you to double our salaries. All I'm saying, though, is, is if we're doing a good job of leading God's church, you should be thinking, man, they're worth twice what we pay them. Man, they're worth a lot more than that if we're doing well. And it says to consider them that way, especially those, especially those who work hard or labor at preaching and teaching. Let me tell you that uh, we spend a lot of time and effort and energy preaching, preparing to preach, preparing to teach, we, all four of us have different styles of doing that, but we all work very hard at doing it. Uh, we, I listen to my previous sermons so that I can learn and get better at it. Uh, even though God has called me to this, does it the best I can. No, I should, I should work hard at it, and I, I do. And so do the other guys when they're preaching. And, and so uh, and we see in the, this passage these two very important uh, functions of pastor elders. The next one we see is to be pastor or shepherd. Look what it says in Acts 20, 28. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We see here that part of the responsibilities of, of being a pastor elder is to shepherd and pastor the church well. Now, we all have different uh, uh, spiritual gifts, and some of us kind of gravitate toward this uh, uh, better than others, but it's all of our responsibility to do this. Uh, speaking of which, I keep saying all of us and us. 
Uh, nowhere in the New Testament do we see an example of a single pastor leading a church. That's very dangerous. The only examples we see is when there is a plurality of pastors who hold each other accountable, who hold each other up and encourage one another, uh, who make sure that we function the way we're supposed to function. And so that's why we always have a plurality or more than one elder. But part of that responsibility is to pastor and shepherd the congregation. That means getting them together and moving them in one direction and being kind of like a shepherd. And one of those responsibilities is to go and get the stray sheep. As Jesus taught, what do you do? What does a shepherd do when one goes astray? He leaves the 99, he goes and gets the one, and he tries to bring them back. Now, uh, sheep, like people, have their own minds, and they're going to do what they want to do in the end. But we should make every effort to try and bring them back. The fourth big responsibility of an elder is to guard the truth. And we see here in Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in, in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. It's a double-edged sword. Part of it is to teach what we know is the truth, but also to refute those who teach heresy. In other words, it's our responsibility to teach the truth. Well, listen, uh, Christopher, the first thing we've got to know is we've got we to know the truth. If we don't know the truth, we can't teach the truth. If we can't teach the truth, uh, we can't communicate it well, uh, then the truth isn't going to be seen. And so it's our responsibility as pastor elders uh, to really know and understand God's word. Uh, listen, nobody interprets it perfectly, but there are parts of God's word. And, and in our culture, folks, when somebody says, well, you don't know everything about the Bible, that's right. But uh, I know a lot about it, and I know what the Bible means when it says, do not lie. I have a 100% understanding of that. There's parts of it you can understand very well, right? And so we teach the truth, and we refute those who teach poor doctrine. Now, you may not know this. We don't talk about this. We don't, you know, communicated all over the world, but when people come into this congregation and they come to a community group and they start teaching bad doctrine, we, in a very loving way, get with them, we talk to them, we try to help them see from God's word where they might be in error and help bring them around to the right direction. Uh, again, it doesn't mean we know everything about everything, but we know some things very well, and we don't allow people to teach bad doctrine, so it's our responsibility to guard the truth here. Uh, we take that very seriously. Uh, lastly, well, that's, that's it for the uh, responsibilities. Now I want to talk to Christopher for a minute, and you guys get to listen in on that, but I want to kind of charge him with some responsibilities because elders must do a few things. And here's where we start. First of all, to proclaim the word of God. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, we'll talk about this from the church's side in a few minutes. But, Christopher, this is very important, my friend. It is our responsibility to proclaim the word of God consistently in our life. Not just here, but there, and there, and there, and in there, and out there, and over there, and every which direction. It is our responsibility to proclaim God's word. People are going to ask us, they're going to ask you the rest of your life, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Your response needs to be, it doesn't matter what I think, but let's open God's word and see what he thinks. 
And so you, I know you do this consistently now, but don't ever forget to do this. Continue uh, to just point people to God's word. Proclaim God's word. Speak it all the time, everywhere, not just in the pulpit. Be an example of someone who can say like Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. You want to see God's word in action? Come follow me as I follow Christ. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean Jesus isn't the, uh, the model. But it does mean if people will just come and do what you do, they will be following Jesus because you're following him so well. We aren't and we can't be perfect, but we should be those who set an example, which kind of leads us into the next one. And that is to walk the way of faith. First of all, in our kind of one of the two lists in the New Testament for elders and their um, prerequisites. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, we don't have time today to go through a whole exhaustive uh, understanding of every one of these things, but let me bring out a couple uh, that I think are really important. They're all important, but a couple of them there. One is basically being above reproach, both inside and outside the church. That means that we shouldn't live lives where people are constantly accusing us of things. It should be apparent and clear to everyone that we are doing our very best to serve God and do the right things. We see also in that list the husband of one wife, That's why we teach uh, here at Fellowship of Grace uh, that uh, deacons and elders are men. It's not because women aren't valuable to God. It's not because they uh, don't have equal access to God. It doesn't even mean that they aren't gifted. And in some ways and sometimes uh, they are gifted even better than men. But the reality is God has placed men in the position of leadership. And, and, And folks, this just works out in practicality. If my wife, Julie, were the pastor of this church and I was the spiritual leader of my home, when, when, does that, when does that turn upside down? I mean, am I the leader till we get to the parking lot and now she's my spiritual leader? And then as soon as I you know, say, well, hey, we got a disagreement about something, well, let's get off the parking lot so I can be the leader. I mean, it just doesn't work. You see what how it works? And so that's why we call her the fog first lady. And <laughs> I will pay for that. But anyway, we are not, a, we are not co-pastors. And listen, church plants are springing up all around the Northland. And in almost every single example, you see things that say, Michael and Julie Porter, pastors. My wife is not a pastor here. She's a pastor's wife. Okay? And, and pastors have to be men. That's just what God says. And if you have a problem with that, take it up with him. Okay? One of the differences between this list with deacons and and list for um, pastors is that pastors have to be able to teach. Deacons don't have to be able to teach. Pastors do. It says he must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control. Why? Listen, if a guy can't handle his own seven-year-old kid, he can't handle leading the body of Christ. 
And so it's important uh, to keep our children in check, keep our household in order. And then, of course, you know, you're released of that responsibility when they become adults and they do their own thing. All right? But you have to keep that household well. Not a new convert. It's important that not uh, new Christians aren't just thrust into leadership because they might have some skills and some abilities. They have to have that eldership, that, that sense of, of uh, life experience and wisdom. We have to have generally good character. That whole list is all about just having good character and a good reputation inside and outside the church. So that's a pretty big uh, way to walk in the faith. But we also see that you have to walk in faith in, in leadership. Look at Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. It says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, the disciples, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not that way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So in the book of Acts, we see here, uh, Jesus here is actually speaking to his disciples uh, who become the apostles. And uh, what you see in the book of Acts, if you read the whole thing and pay, make, uh, pay close attention to these words, uh, it'll start off by saying that the apostles made these decisions for the church. The apostles made these decisions for the local church. Then there'll be a period of time, and I don't remember the chapters where it starts and stops, but there'll be a period of time where it says, the apostles and elders the apostles and elders, the apostles and elders. And then you see towards the end of the book of Acts, it starts talking about just the elders and how they lead churches. And when you see Paul's letters, he's writing to the elders of the church, not apostles. There are 13 apostles in history. The original 11 minus um, uh, Judas, who is out, uh, replaced by um, Matthias. And then... um, Paul said that he was an apostle born out of, out of season uh, to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. We are not apostles. We are pastors. We are pastor elders. Uh, we see that while the apostles set the foundation for the New Testament church, uh, when they passed away, that was the end of apostleship. Today, pastor elders lead the church. And so we see that we have to be responsible uh, uh, as elders. But, but Christopher, let me tell you this, man. And I think you exhibit this, but you have to continue to exhibit this. Getting this title doesn't mean that somehow now we're at the top of the pyramid barking orders to the rest of the congregation. Don't ever think of, of, an, of a, an organizational chart with the pastors at the top. Think of it as an organizational chart with the pastors at the bottom. We are the ones serving the body. We are the ones upholding and encouraging the body. Uh, uh, yes, we have responsibilities, uh, but, but we are there to, to be the biggest servants of all. That means when you see the chairs need to get moved, we should be the first four to move chairs. When you see the tables need to get moved, we should be the first ones to do that. When you see that sod needs to get laid, uh, we need to be the first four guys doing that. That's what we've done the last couple of days. Uh, you know, when, when the church needs something, when the body needs something, we need to be the first ones to step up and be willing to do uh, what it is that God needs to have done. We need to serve these people. We are not here to lord over them. We are here to lovingly lead them. And, and what you are doing today is giving the rest of your life to the ministry of the local body, the church. The last thing that we need to do 
is keep watch over the people. Look what Hebrews 13, 17 says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. Two things I want to point out to you, Christopher. Uh, first of all, we are the ones that should keep watch over the souls as those who will give an account. That's very interesting wording. It doesn't say that we will give an account for these people. Every single person is going to stand before God and give an account of themselves. But we should care for them as though we were going to have to give an account. We won't, but we should care for them as though we were going to have to give them an account. That means that we care about them. We love them. We're... we're we're, we're here to help them become everything that God wants them to be. If you want to be a great, great leader, be a great servant. We should look out for them as if one day we were going to stand before God with them and God say, so uh, let's talk about how they did, Pastor Christopher. And now you've got to give an account. We won't have to do that. But we should think that way because that puts something in us that just, uh, man, it just causes us to just ache, ache to serve them and to love them into a, a followership of Jesus. Lastly, we see that we have to prepare to give an account. We won't give an account for them, but we will give an account to ourselves. Look at James 3.1. It says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, this isn't just for pastors, but it's for all teachers who teach doctrine to the body of Christ. But we as pastors who preach and teach will have to give an account for what we have done. We take it very seriously. Every Sunday, we pray for the man who's going to stand here and speak God's word. We who are going to stand here, we pray. We ask God to help us to say his words, not our own. We will, however, give an account of ourselves to God for what we have done as a pastor, elder, and teacher of the local body. And we will have a stricter judgment being elders. The Bible's not clear on that. We don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be. But the bottom line is, if we're going to be uh, those who teach others about God's word, shouldn't we be obeying it? Of course we should. And so anytime you get out of sync with that man, get back in quick. Uh, really just uh, do your very best uh, to just serve the body of Christ well. Answering this call is not being elevated to a position, but it's being given a responsibility to care for the church of God for the rest of your very life. Now church, uh, you have four really good elder pastors here. And I say we're good for this reason because these things are real to us. We, we love you. We don't, we don't, we don't lead perfectly. We, we don't teach perfectly. We don't uh, do anything you know, just perfectly. But I can tell you that we labor, we struggle, we pray, we beg God to help us on Tuesdays, we come and walk in this room. Now, there are scheduling things occasionally that don't allow us, but most every Tuesday, we come to this room and we, we pray for the congregation, every family by name, every family specifics, because we know that's our responsibility as pastor elders of this church. We take it very, very seriously. But the Bible's clear that the church should respond to us. 
The church should respond to us in certain ways. We have a great responsibility, but you have some responsibility too. Let's look at those briefly before we go today. The church should respond by imitating our life and faith. Look back at Hebrews 13, 7. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. This is a very, uh, just an interesting verse, the way it's worded. Because what it says is, consider the result of their conduct, imitate their conduct. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, look and see what they do. Just go do the same thing. Just conduct yourselves the way they conduct themselves. No, because you can do that in the flesh. You can just, you can just fake your way through that. You can just pretend and just try to be a good person and do that. What it's saying is, no, no, no. If you see pastor elders that are doing this well, those who have led you well, who have spoken the word of God to you, consider the result of their conduct. So look at their conduct. Don't imitate their conduct. Imitate their faith. Know God like they know God. Love Jesus as much as they love Jesus. Do the things in faith because that will change your, your, your conduct from the inside out. Don't just fake it, you know, till you make it. Give your life to the faith. Give your life to following Jesus. The other thing we see is that a church should be obeying and submitting to their spiritual authority. Go back to Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, we are unusual uh, from other churches because we actually practice church discipline here. What that means is when somebody is practicing outward sin that is known, and it doesn't mean you try to hide your sin better, okay? When it's known, we go and approach you and say, listen, for your sake, for your sake, please stop doing this. We do that one-on-one, not in a way to embarrass somebody or humiliate them or, or beat them up. It's in a loving way to say, listen, you're standing on some railroad tracks and the train is coming. Please get off. The Bible's clear that the next step is for us to take somebody with us. So we as elders will go two or three to a person, say, listen, we're begging you. Please stop this. Please stop this. We beg you. We beg you. And lastly, the third process is that we bring it up before the whole church. And if they refuse to listen then, they're actually thrown out of the membership of the church. We treat them like a lost person, like a person who doesn't know Jesus. What that means is we still love them, right? Because if people walk in these doors, they don't have a faith in Christ. We still love them. We care for them. We're kind to them. uh, We want to minister to them. But they're not part of the family until they receive Christ as their Savior. Folks, that's hard to do. We, We don't, like, send out a text message when we do this. But we have to do this. But think of it this way. It's kind of like we're the people that are standing while you are, not you, while somebody is standing on a bridge ready to jump. We're the ones coming up going, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please don't do this. Please don't do this. I've seen this before. We know what God's word says. I know what the result is going to be for you. I am begging you, please step off the side of the bridge. It doesn't mean that you obey us and submit to us because we're going to dictate your every move or boss you around and be a jerk. doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is, listen, when your pastors who love you and lead you well, when they come to you and say, I'm begging you, 
please don't do this. You don't say, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I'm quitting. I'm just going to go on my own way. Man, I'm telling you, that is the most dangerous thing that you can possibly do. That's the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. Come back. Come off the bridge. Let us love you and help you. That's what it means by, by obeying and submitting to your spiritual authority. Lastly, what you can do for us, what the church should do is to pray and support us. Pray for us and support us. Look at Hebrews 13, 18. It says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. That means that we're, listen, we're trying. We're trying. Desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. The moment Christopher said yes to the call of God, he got a huge responsibility from God, and he also got a huge target on his back. Because Satan wants to get us more than anybody else. Listen, if you mess up your family, you make some bad decisions, you mess up your family, it's going to affect you, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect your closest friends. But if he gets him, or him, or him, or me, it's going to affect a lot more people. Listen, folks, if you want to do me any favor, I would say even more than mowing my lawn, and you know how I feel about that, sincerely, Pray for us. Pray for us. Ask God to make us better men. Ask God to make us better pastors. Ask God to just uh, help us, help us to fulfill the call that he has put on our lives so that we can be good, loving leaders who give our lives to this church. And it's the best thing you can do for us. I'm telling you. It really is. What we're going to do before we leave today is we're going to have Christopher come up here and just want you to sit down here on this step, Christopher, and we'd like the ordained men of the church, uh, if you're ordained here, to come up here and we're going to lay hands on Christopher here and pray for him. Uh, if you've never seen this before, you don't know what's happening. It's not some kind of weird hocus pocus. We're not, we're not whispering in his ear how to do the special handshake or anything goofy like that, Okay. But in the New Testament, when you set somebody apart, we do this for mission teams that leave our church too. Uh, when we, we're setting him apart to do the work of the ministry, he, we're, God's actually called him. But we are now uh, conferring and confirming that call and saying we believe that this is really the case. And so we're going to pray for him. Pray with us as we pray for him. Father, I thank you for, for Christopher. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his salvation that came through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the way that he loves his wife, Megan, and his daughter. God, help him to be a good pastor. Help him to be a good man and a good father, good husband. Lord, I pray that you will help him to remember today, that you will sear it in his memory, that he will remember the things that he has heard, that he will always take seriously and never become complacent about the huge responsibility it is to lead your church. God, we are not uh, uh, misunderstanding. This is not our church. It is your church. We know that you have put men in charge of leading it and loving it. And God, help us do that well. I pray that you will help Christopher to just stay strong in his faith and in his convictions. Help him to stay strong in his calling and his service to your body for the rest of his life. God, help him to finish well. He's been a great starter. He's done everything you've asked him to do. But God, help him to be a good finisher. Help him to finish his life, whether it's a year, 10 years, 50 years, 80 years from now, whatever it is, God. 
that you will help him to be a great finisher and that he will stand before you one day unashamed and ready to just uh, bask in your presence forever. God, thank you for his call. Thank you for his heart and his willingness to say yes. Now bless him the rest of his life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, my brother. We've got a couple of things that we're giving Christopher today. Uh, one is a certificate of ordination. Uh, in my opinion, uh, this is more important than any degree that you have paid for. Uh, this, this is about your life. Here's what it says, folks. I want you to know what it says. It says, We, the undersigned, upon the recommendation and request of the Fellowship of Grace Church at Parkville, Missouri, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging the God-given gifts and after satisfactory examination by us in regard to the Christian experience, call to the ministry and views of Bible doctrine, hereby certify that Nathan Christopher Argent was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained to the work of the gospel ministry by authority and order of Fellowship of Grace at Parkville, Missouri on the 14th day of April, 2019. God bless you, my brother. And I'm not shaking my hand. We also, we also got him a, 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 a new thin line Bible, which he'll be able to read probably about another five years before you need the big print. And uh, we just want you to know how much we love you and appreciate you and look forward to your loving leadership uh, for a long time. Uh, they're going to be standing out here in the uh, lobby after the service. Just be come, come by and tell them uh, congratulations and how much you're going to be praying for him. All right? God bless you guys.